Welcome to the Desert Street Podcast, the podcast helping you develop forex trading skills for more freedom. I'm your host, Etienne Kret. Let's get started right away. All right, so welcome back, everyone. We are live. I am sitting down today with two gentlemen that are working with me inside Desert Street and the Academy. I'm sitting down with uh, Adriano and Michael Tama. So, what's up, guys? How are you today? Uh, good, good. Etienne, how are you? Totally good, very for well, sure. Very well. Awesome. So I wanted to do a kind of like uh, like discussion, like not very formal, but more like talking about different topics. So I want to, first of all, ask you guys a little bit of background about yourself, who you are. Because you've been here before, it's not the first time we see you probably on the channel. And so just talk about who you are and a bit of background about yourself. Starting with Ariano, perhaps. Okay. Well, for people that, uh, that is the first time they see me here, I'm Alejandro. I am a full-time trader. I mostly trade algos right now. I joined the academy last year, at the beginning of last year, in 2018, not really, 2017, the end of the year, uh, with one of the trainings that Etienne did with Mandy. And after that, I kept working on things. And then around summer last year, I started working with Etienne to help him to automate his trading strategy, the bowling band reversal. And with that, we built together the trading assistant, and we started to work together more in the academy. And now I am part of the academy also, helping with you know all the students, questions, anything that uh, you guys need in the academy, and also directing uh, one of the mastermind calls we have. Every month we have two of them. I am directing it. And then we are here, well, improving as a trader as always, and trying to to give value to the community. Awesome. Cool. Love that. Uh, Michael. Michael Toma, a corporate risk manager by trade. I've been doing risk management as a profession since uh, 2000 and certified since 2007. I uh, do a lot of corporate risk management and also obviously I'm a full-time trader and I also do risk management for traders and trader groups. Uh, it, the risk management concept is the same whether it's in an insurance company or a corporate environment or even in the trading environment. In fact, one of the things I do is bring those principles of corporate risk management into the trading floor to sort of optimize uh, you know, traders and, and build upon their success. I'm a full-time trader as well. I do uh, mostly futures. I also do options premium selling uh, as well as Forex, mostly in the option space. That's where I find my, my Forex strategies work the best. And uh, also, I'm a part of the risk management. I'm actually the head of the risk management for the Desired Trade Group. And you'll see me a lot on ETN's videos on, on YouTube. And uh, we also did the risk management piece uh, for the Academy members and more to come on that end as well. So very busy these days. Awesome. So we're pretty much done with the formal part. Now, I want to ask you, we have a lot of people that reach out to us that want to get profitable in trading. So I want to ask you, in, and we'll keep this very short. This has to be like really kind of well thought and short. So. If you could give people like, let's say three words or let's say a sentence that would summarize how you become a profitable or a good trader, how would you give that kind of one sentence? Alejandro? I will let you answer that one first. I didn't expect that question at the moment, so let me think of a good answer. <laughs> how, how about I take it? How about I take that one? Yeah, first? you take one first. Mine's simple. Short answer, focus on the risk. I mean, you know, entry is important. Focus on things you control, but once that button is pushed and you enter, it's all about risk management. You can't control the markets, you can't control price movement, but you can control risk. So focus on what you can control 
master that and you'll be around for a long time. Love that. And yeah. all you good to go or I'll, I'll share mine if you want. And mine is also like not that at all. So whatever. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I'm good to go. I just like, it is, I think that what, what Mike said right now, it is something that I may have said like three weeks ago. No, like a month ago when we did another live. So I'm like, yeah, I think we all think kind of like in the same uh, layout. And then mine one would be about the statistics and knowing your numbers. You have to know your numbers because you can focus on the risk, but if you don't know if your system or strategy is profitable and it can make over a long run a profit, then you may be diligent, you may follow your plan every single time, but your plan may not be able to give you results and to give you profit for the long term. So. You have to know. You have to know your statistics, and you have to know if your strategy and your system has an edge in the market that you are applying it to. I love that. Awesome. I'm going to say something a little bit different. That's kind of aligned with what Michael said earlier. But I'm going to go with basically years of trading are as good as you, as who you are at this point. So, in other words, if you want to succeed in trading, you got to focus on yourself. Years is good. All this stuff is good. And I think it's important, but you got to look at yourself. Who are you? What do you do in the market? Are you consistent with what you do? And do you have the same routine, the same habits all the time? Or you just like go and, and play with the market when you feel like it? And I think that determines how people, like what level people are at, I believe. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Nice. Great point. Yeah. That's so, a great point. So Jonathan says, what are you guys' experiences or thoughts on different charts like Renko? Uh, three line break, I guess we'll include with that Akinashi, all these like different chart possibilities you can have in the market. So, might I start with your thoughts on this? Sure. Well, um, I'm a big Akinashi fan, so don't get me started on that. Um, I support you fully 100%. But when it comes to you know different types of charts, things like that, I mean, there's a lot of variables that come with that. But I think the main thing is that it helps you whatever strategy, uh, charting software you use or, or indicators. As long as it identifies where you're wrong, I think that's most important. You know, wrinkle bars, things, I'm not a, you know, a specialist in those kind of areas, Ichimoku or anything like that. But if they tell you if you're wrong, to me, that's the most important thing. So, and I can ask you, for example, that, that's a, for me, that's like one of my top indicators to let me know where I'm wrong. So, um, again, that, to me, that's the first sort of filter. After that, then you can dig into things like, you know, uh, support resistance, stuff like that. But First thing I'm looking for is tell me when I'm wrong. I'll take it the rest of the way. Nice. Yeah, that's a great, great thing. Do you have a particular favorite uh, kind of trade, like charting, uh, I guess, way or, or method? Is that for me? Or, yeah. yeah, 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 for uh, you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah, we did a whole course on that in your academy, so uh, there's you know there's a, there's a lot in that one question, but I will say that I have different strategies for different market conditions. So you have to sort of adapt to optimize you know, performance that way. I think that's one of the things that traders, most traders struggle with. They have one big strategy that may have results over some time back testing, and they just stick with that through all market conditions. So, and, and that sometimes uh, dilutes your P&L and sometimes actually you know, puts you in the red. So that ability to adapt is important. So I have different sort of strategies for different market conditions. And um, not to make it confusing, you only need maybe two or three because Let's face it, the market's either trending up, trending down, or, or chop. So um, if you can kind of get maybe three strategies that kind of focus or take advantage of those situations, uh, I think you're pretty good. That's that's what I do, and 
Now, so far, it's working. Awesome. Cool. Alejandro, you want to show your thoughts? Yeah, for me, it is like these different types of charts. For me, they are just different ways of representing the same information or sometimes presenting different information. So, for example, even if you have you know, a normal candlestick chart, if you have one hour chart and a four hour chart, they are both still the same candlestick chart. They are just different time compression. In each candle, we have the price movement of one hour or one minute or one day. So for me, it's just a different way to represent information. And it will depend what you want to use it. It's like what the value is. It. It's like an indicator. You are not going to be using, for example, a moving average crossover to trade a ranging market. That doesn't work most of the time. Uh, so you are not going to, if you're a momentum trader, maybe some type of rank or fixed range chart may be of more value for you than a time-based chart. Because I have seen this mostly in futures, like people are trade futures, uh, because the time compressions for you become irrelevant because you are looking for movements of the market has moved certain amount, certain amount of points. In a slow day, that can be two hours of price action. In a fast day, that can be two minutes of, of price action. And person that is looking at time-based charts, such as uh, candlestick charts or the normal uh, charts that we have everywhere, will not be able to see the same thing as someone that is using, for example, some rainbow charts or fixed-range charts like that, or even volume charts, which I, I, they also use, right? A certain amount of volume or ticks instead of price range. All of those, for me, convey different information, and they are different tools. So depending on your personality and what you are trading and where do you find your edge and that fits with you, it, I think it will be what would be the best to work with. I personally never understood properly the Renko charts. They look too clean for me, but they, I also was like, I don't really... I can't really picture them well because I work better with a time-based uh, thing because that's how I, I learned. So the Renko charge, uh, charts and the fixed range charts sometimes don't work well for me because I try to extrapolate everything to more or less time, but those charts are not based on time. They are based on price movement. And for example, a line chart for me, it is really useful you know, for defining my major support and resistance areas. As we showed in the video that we did a couple of months ago about how to do major support resistance areas, the line chart shows me just a cleaner information, just the closest. And then the candlestick charts, which are also time-based charts, same as the line chart, uh, show me extra information with the high, low, and and the open, right? So for me, everything is a different tool. It's like using different indicators. Everyone can find value in the different indicators. It is just how you use them and how they fit into your strategy and the edge you are you are applying to the market. Yeah, that's awesome. One thing I retain for both of your answer is the fact that you need to ask yourself, does it add an edge or does it give me an edge that I wouldn't have without that chart? And if the answer is yes, then use it. If the answer is like, well, I like add this a little bit and it gives me like a 1% edge per year, well, is it worth it? Maybe some years going to be better, maybe some years going to be worse. So... You got to see it as, does it add some edge, some some context that you need or not? And as I think Michael would agree a lot, the data will tell you what to do. It always does. It always does. Yep. I love this. One note I'll just add to uh, you know, these indicators. Sometimes you can use these indicators like Ranko as confirmation or confluence to your primary drivers of what your entries is and stops and things like that. 
you know, while you may have may have it on your screen, like Renko or something, I may use some of those things as sort of confirmation indicators that allow me to get into a trade, not the catalyst for the actual trade itself. So, you know, again, there's a lot of ways, like you said, if it doesn't add any value, you know, don't don't uh, be a part of it. But uh, if they do, that could be an area of value. It's not necessarily a profit a profit machine, but it's sort of a confluence uh, indicator for you. Those, those are valuable to me, even though it doesn't really directly relate to profit and loss. Yeah. I also would like to add that sometimes they tell you the same information just in a different way. And for some people, it may be easier to understand one than the other, even if they are telling them exactly the same. I think the easiest example to show would be the, I think it's point and figure chart or the line chart. No, not the line. The, the one that has the high, low and close, but it's just with lines instead of with candle bodies. Uh, it shows you exactly the same information as a candlestick chart. The difference is that the candlestick chart has the colors filled, the candles, and the other one is just literally just like a line at the open, a, a, a little, little stick as the body, and another line for the close, right? So they give you the same information, but in different ways. And as you said, they are, they are tools. So it may not add something that you may not be able to see already in the other charts that you're using or in the other indicators you're using. But it may make it easier or faster to you to find that information that you are looking for. So that could add some value to your workflow, as as Mike said, maybe as a confirmation or as a confluence factor instead of just the whole thing. It's not like it's not like you would want to replace everything for something. It's more you want to use each thing as it works best for its intended purpose. Nice. I love this. And by the way, I wrote in the description below, I just got reminded of that. I wrote that. These two guys with me today are experts at their fields. So Michael knows a lot about risk. And then always like the expert for me about algos and all the stuff about coding and everything around. And so they, they know what they talk about. And the next question I have is, I guess from Michael, the question is from Blaine. So how much should I, should you risk for trade percentage wise? Oh, interesting. Uh, it's a good question. Uh, and what was it for? Is it Glenn or Blaine? Uh, from Blaine. Blaine, Blaine, welcome. Uh, good question. I, w I will say this, and there's a lot of factors that go into it. And let me just, uh, you know, I don't want to be wishy-washy my answer. One of the factors is your account size um, and, you know, the number of trades that you put on in a certain, you know, sequence, things like that. But I will say this, and there's no direct answer to say for a dollar amount. In fact, I would avoid actually using specific dollar amounts. Um, and I'll even go as far as to say, you know, don't necessarily rely too much on percentage of accounts and stuff like that. It's a guide, so you, you don't want to you know, risk like 30% of your account on a trade or anything. But what more importantly is place your stop where you know the market, you, you know where the trade isn't working. It's, it, it's gone wrong. The market will beat you sometimes. But if you put the stop too close, and which a lot of people do, it's you think you're saving money or you know keeping your dollar risk low. But what you're doing is you're like a sitting duck there, just waiting for the market to peg you, and often price will go in your in your ultimate favor where you know you would have had a winner. So the key point I want to take away from here is put a stop away from where to the point where you know you're wrong. If if the price comes to hit that stop, that didn't work out. Clear and simple. Um, let the market beat you. Don't beat yourself. Okay, that's important. And if that means, well, I have to maybe make my stop a little wider then lower your size. So you can keep that dollar in dollar amount in check, but you know, lower your dollar risk, that's fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, of course. 
But always make sure your stop is behind a wall, so to speak, where the market has to beat you. Too many times, we put our stop to the point where we're just beating ourselves, and we're thinking we're trying to save ourselves some money. But uh, in the end, it's kind of like you know death by a thousand pokes, and uh, that's the way you kind of bleed your account dry little by little. Hope that makes sense. Nice. Awesome. I want to hear both of you about how have you been able, because you both have interesting stories. So how have you been able to come up with your current training style? What was the, the kind of story or the transition you had to face to get to that point? Anil, you want to start? Yeah, yeah I will start. So for me, I think when I started, I just started trading a small idiosyncrasy in the market. Uh, because when I started trading, I really knew nothing. And I was trading something that people say in Mexico here that the U.S. dollar is usually cheaper on Wednesday and more expensive on Fridays during a week. During the time I started trading, that was true for like two months, something like that. And I doubled the account in that. And then it stopped being true for like two weeks and then my account blew up again because of not knowing anything. And just, you know, I had that $1,000 account and I was placing uh, like two, three lots, three full lots. On um, um, per trade on that account, and sometimes putting two or three trades in, like in the same in the same direction of that idiosyncrasy of the market that stopped existing after some time. So I started trading with charts that had nothing really. Like I didn't start with indicators and that, and then I started looking for indicators, and I found some that were useful, some not. But then I went to price action because. I saw and I thought, okay, if it is so easy to make with this thing with indicators and just make, okay, buy here, why when it touches this line? And so when it touches this line, everyone will be doing it, right? Like, I mean, there are guys that they are paying probably millions of dollars to program these things uh, on hedge funds and that. So they, they should be doing that. If, if that is really the way to make money, then they should be doing it, right? So I thought something that they can't do like that would be price action because price action is something that is purely discretionary. You can have some rules-based approach and systematic approach to the price action, but ultimately the way I see the things will be different to the way my mentor sees the things, to the, ne- to the next guy seeing the things, to the guy in the hedge fund seeing the things. Even if we are staring at the same chart and we have the same training, we will look at it, all of it, in different points. We will have different stop losses, different entries, and different take profits. All of us, even if we are looking at the same thing and taking exactly the same setup. So I was like, I think that would be more reasonable. And also, there was, you know, a charm in the parts of I am making my own destiny and I am the one, like, like it is my skill. It's not just like, you know, a stupid dumb robot doing the thing. But that's how I thought in that time. So I started trading like that. Uh, I trade part-time. So it was not that profitable. It was not profitable at the beginning. I thought it was losing money, but after losing the first account, it was just losing money slowly because I had like super strict risk management for that. I think I really found out like properly about Algos after some of your blogs that you were traveling and you were getting the notifications and that. Because before I had played with it, I was like, I had, I found a strategy in the course that I took, which was kind of systematic strategy for people to break out uh, during the London timeframe, time zone. So I was like, okay, that could be cool. So I automated that with using a, a simple thing, just because I have always been techie. So I always liked uh, computers, programming, and that a bit. So I started with that, but I never really paid attention to it like properly. And it was just like, you know, like more playing than actually working. 
in, in something by just playing to see if this works or it doesn't work. And then after you were like inspired with the blogs and that, I was like, I will try to do something that actually works and like test the things properly and start doing that. So that is when I went more like full on. I already have some background and some information on how to do the things. But that is when I went more like, okay, I want to have a couple of strategies, maybe some of the ones I played with before. Now let's do them properly for algo trading. And then I still keep my, my discretionary trading because it's a different mental exercise. And also since we do algo trading in swing trading, I may not need to check the charts or the algo or anything for a whole week in the algo trading. Like I, I may be able to just leave it. Like I think, yeah, last week I think I something like that. I think last week and also most of this week because I am planning to go away. I don't have much time, much mental bandwidth trade. So I just check my algo like a couple of trades. I closed one trade I didn't like at the moment and it was good because it went full stop loss. But I have not really checked the charts more than once per day in the afternoon after lunch and relaxing just to see that the algo is not doing anything crazy. So it has given me that freedom, but it also can be bad because you can become lazy and you are like, I don't know where the market is at all, right? That that could also happen. Like you don't know where the market is at all. You don't know, as Michael said, you don't know if the market has changed its characteristics. And now we are, we change from a low volatility market to a really high volatility market with high uncertainty, which is what's happening actually right now in many, in many pairs. If you don't know that and you are not in sync with the market, then you cannot react with your algos and see, okay, now this algo doesn't work in this market. Let's stop that one. This algo is specifically made for this type of market. Let's put that one to play, right? So it still keeps me like just checking the price action and even not trading sometimes, just doing the practice of doing my analysis by price action gives me a different insight. And then I can apply some of those filters to discretionary management of the algorithmic system. Even if I'm not doing the full discretionary trading, I still mix like that part of the human with that. So I would say that probably my trading style right now, it's more like bionic or something uh, like bionic or hybrid in which I have the algos, they help me, but I also help them. When I see that the algo stop loss is too far away and now the market has made a new meaningful break or something like that, then I will, I will trade my stop. I will decrease my risk more than what the algo would do it, right? Or if I see that the market conditions have changed, then I will stop one algo. Actually, last week I stopped one algo in the S&P 500 because as I told Mike just before we started this live, I don't know what it's doing. Neither does the pair, does the index knows to see what it's doing. And I know my algo, it doesn't perform well in those, those parts. So I just stopped it for now because until I know what it's doing, I will not keep trading that, not even with the out, right? So I, I would say probably like I developed into being a fully discretionary trader to being more algo-like, but I never left that discretionary part away. Like it's always with me. So I evolved into a, a hybrid or ionic type of trader up until now. I really like one thing you said. You said the algo helped me and I also helped the algo. I think I summarized the whole principle behind algos and how to do it right. Like you could be there and do nothing while the algo runs, but then you maximize both capabilities you have, the algo and yourself. We as traders have the ability to kind of know more because we see things and we have experience, but the algo doesn't really consider these things. So by combining both, I think that's pretty powerful. I really like that. It's awesome. Yeah. And that's also like my whole philosophy when creating algos and even with our clients in the, 
for the training assistant, for the plugin additions, for the personal algorithm development. Like the whole process is okay, let's see how the human can do what the human does best and let the robot do what the robot does best. Now, if we can fully automate everything, then that's great. But if we can't, and in most cases, you really can't automate the whole thing. You maybe can automate the, the grunt work or, the, or, the, or the, the technical part, but you can't automate that fine touch. So that is my full philosophy that I have gotten it. And it has worked really well for me because it also helps be better at sticking with the algos. Because if it was just fully algos, there are sometimes in which you see that goal and say, okay, this is just a stupid thing, right? The, the RSI and that crossed, uh, they crossed and they made a signal, but there is no market logic for that. There is nothing to tell me that. So there are some times in which that happens. So I think that that would be like my whole philosophy. I make the algos, the algos are meant to help me, and then I help the algos so we can perform better optimally in both sides. I like that. Cool. So, Michael, how did you come with your current training style? Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's evolved for so many years. Uh, basically, it's, I'll, and I'll keep it brief because I know we have uh, some questions too that, uh, that came in. I may have basically started as discretionary, kind of getting information for wherever I can. But the sort of light bulb moments for me, and I was thinking about this, uh, you know, while Alejandro was, was talking about his, his background, was I said, you know, the, the two things that hit me was one, I was introduced to market profile, which is something that, you know, sort of a little outside the box. But to me, it kind of gave me a structure that allowed me to understand, you know, not necessarily where the market's going, but sort of little nuances that kind of, you know, repeat itself and things like that. So market profile, in essence, was my sort of, you know, my chart in, in a sense. That was uh, pretty big. The other thing, too, and I'm really blessed, was I have the opportunity to uh, speak on uh, the Trader Expo circuit, things like that. So I've done a lot of speaking engagements. And I just met traders from all over the world. And it's amazing how when you come forward with sharing your knowledge, you know, they also help you and share some ideas as well. So that branched out into you know, the Forex, the metals. Eventually, you know, it evolved to where 50% of my trades now is options, premium selling. You know, that I didn't even know what that was, you know, ten years ago. So and really how it's evolved now is that my strategies really reflect or had to change to reflect my lifestyle, which has also changed because, you know, I, I want just just like all the academy members, I want more freedom out of my life and I don't want to sit in front of a screen all day. So even though the results were there, I had to adapt for my lifestyle and of course the results still had to be there. There's also I grew into managed on the managed account side. To where you know I have strategies that sort of accommodate that because there's more of a you know there's much bigger responsibility and you you know there's more pressure to not have a, a really really bad day where if it's my own personal you know things happen and you just run with it so uh, you know as I've developed I've kind of branched to different areas but more importantly those trading plans have evolved to reflect my lifestyle and also my my responsibilities, whether it's my own accounts or, or managed accounts. One last thing I'll mention on, on, and I'm also gravitating more towards automated trading. For the last five months, the auto automated trading has outperformed me, which is kind of a humbling way of slapping me in the face as a as a professional trader. But you know that's that's a really big awakening. Where of course overnight hours, I'm not around to you know they, it generates uh, you know PL on those times, but even during regular sessions, it actually, you know, it, it's a 100% client 
code. So it's pretty enlightening for a minute. For a while, it was disheartening, but that's the sort of path that I'm moving in. I continue to gravitate that. And my strategies have evolved to sort of reflect that. So it's, I'm in a good space. It's kind of cool, but it's amazing, you know, really to, to, to answer your question, how I've come sort of full circle from, you know, just starting with little moving average crosses to where, you know, to where I am now. So pretty interesting journey, to say the least. Love that. Awesome. And that's just the progression. Like people that just start one place and then they, they're always at the same level or, or the same way of doing things. I believe don't really evolve much. And the more you evolve, the more you change your style, I think the more you evolve, which is okay. a good example of that. Yeah, and then and the evolution also factors in the the value of freedom. So uh, that's that's a pretty cool thing. It's not just about P and L. It's about you know being able to do the things you want to do in life, support you know families, things like that, but also you know in, enjoy you know and have a lifestyle that really reflects what you want in life. And obviously, Jen, you're you're the poster child for that. I love that. Awesome. Question is: by not training the, uh, several strategies, I am losing money or not optimizing my profit. Should I aim to perfect one strategy or collect a few to one in my arsenal of choices? Michael, you want to go on that? Yeah, good question. You know, just sort of a double-edged sword here. One, if you expand your strategies, uh, and, I, and I've always believed you should have a few to reflect different market conditions, um, at least two or three. But once you start doing that, you and I've done that, I've been guilty of this too, is you sort of dilute your focus and your brain power and then things kind of get a little scrambled and results obviously uh, you know, get impacted by that. So I'm a big believer in mastering one or two things and just be the master of that. But the other thing too is, I'm not trying to read into the question or anything, but sometimes when I do trade journal audits and you know, people develop different strategies, it's almost like maybe they're frustrated with an original strategy or they feel like they're doing okay, but they want to do better. Sometimes just markets have this like sort of normalization that Every strategy is not going to perform at the same level every month or every time period. So maybe it's just a question of refining something or, you know, or looking at it, doing a journal audit. And that's, I think, what, you know, a little pro plug for coaching or having a mentor, you know, to help identify those things. Sometimes with multiple strategies, I see a lot of traders that kind of hop to different ones or whichever's hot and where, you know, one they gave up on is probably would have performed really well. Sometimes it's just a little tweak and you know, maybe you need a, another trader or a coach or a mentor to kind of identify those things. That's kind of really part of the risk management process in trading. And, you know, consider that when you're looking at your strategies or developing them. Mm -hmm. I sort of agree with that. So I think that you should, you're better focusing on one of the things. And the goal is never in trading, I think, to make the biggest return. Like you want to get some returns that are acceptable, but you should always like try to get the best return possible all the time because you might push yourself too much or you might have too many different things. And then you're not able to do anything after that. So as long as you get something right, then you can find ways to improve what you're doing right. I don't know you have different thoughts on this or something similar. Yeah, I actually would say that it depends on how you are trading the things. Because, for example, if you're a day trader, you may have only one strategy and one pair, right? One instrument. And then... If that instrument is not in that type of market conditions in which each performs well the strategy, you can change it to another instrument or to something different that will have those conditions. So you could still have one strategy and trade for most of the time. You will just have to be changing from to market. But you can also like see from swing trader perspective, if you have only one type of strategy and you have like one or two pairs that you traded on them, 
you may have five trades a year, and that will be everything that you will do in your year. So in that case, I would say definitely get more strategies or more pairs because you are playing the diversification game and the numbers game. Trading is, in the end, the numbers game. And if you have an edge, the more times you can take a trade with that edge, the more likely you are going to have a positive expect a positive value at the end of the year, the month. So that is kind of like what some quant uh, funds do. They take many really small trades. We have a really small edge, but it's like a one peak edge every twenty trades, and they take hundreds or thousands of trades every single day, and that is how they are making their profit. If you are a swing trader, it's more, it's harder for you if you say you already have 10 pairs and you are only getting around three trades per month. Three trades per month can still be a, a really small amount of trades because if you have three, like having three trades in a row that are negative and I've got to stop loss, it's pretty common. And it's, it's going to happen unless you have a lot, unless you happen to have like a 95% win rate, which it's pretty unstable to have. Uh, so if you depend on those three trades to make a profit in month, then the likelihood of you to having a down month will be higher than if you have more trades that all has positive expectancy. You can also have, for example, I have a trend following C strategy and the body grand reversal strategy. One is a reversal, one is a trend following. Usually, they don't work well in the same market conditions. Usually, they work well in different market conditions. So while one is making small losses, the other one is making good profit. And that, that, that is how they roll. That way, you can see from the risk management perspective, your equity curve can be smoother, your drawdowns may be lower. But if you do not check your strategies properly and you do not manage them properly, the opposite can compound. You can have your losses being bigger because you had a losses of strategy A plus losses of strategy B at the same time. So you have double what you would usually have. Uh, so you have to be able to manage them properly. And it will depend which type of trader you are, which style of trading you are doing, and the instrument you are trading. Because if you are trading futures, then there are many people that may prefer to stick to a couple of pairs and a couple of strategies. And and opposite to having many strategies in one pair. Also, it depends how you see them because technically in my discretionary trading, I use maybe like seven strategies, but I don't see them as strategies. I see them as one trading plan in which I have, if we have these market conditions, this type of range, then we play with this. If we have this type of break, then we play with this. If we have this type of other thing. So for me, it's more like, for me, all that for me, I englobe it as one strategy because for me, all the rules, they are like, they englobe the same. It's just, I take different action for different things. But for me, that's one strategy. But for someone else, you could say, okay, one is a breakout pullback. One is a pure mentor breakout. One is a role reversal level uh, trading. Another one is a support and resistant uh, uh, pullback or, or reversion to the mean stand type thing. And for someone else, it could be five different strategies that they are trading there, right? While for me, I see them as one because I already blocked them into like single like process that I follow, right? So that that's also how I would say that it could be like well, how you could see the thing. And as everything, it depends. As I Mike said, Mike said, 
it's pretty important that if you're having issues or you're having like that, you can talk with your coach because part of the work of a coach or a mentor in the trading is to be able to see what you don't see. Like, so maybe you think you need another strategy, but if someone looks at your stats, look at how you're doing, they will be like, no, you can't take another strategy right now because your mental bandwidth, it's not high enough or the way you are working is not compatible with adding more strategies. So I will also then go to the mastery part. My idea is you master one thing and then you can add more things. But if you are not yet to the mastery level of the first thing, adding more things may just make the things worse and make uh, you have worse performance instead of enhancing your performance. Yeah, I like that. I think, like I always said, it's the fact that like creating variation to a strategy you already have is easier to create something brand new from scratch. So you might want to work on variations and small tweaks and then later on work on work on different strategies, if that makes sense. So the next question we have is about kind of a little bit of drawdown. So I'll put this in screen for you guys to see. But what can I expect a drawdown will be if I target 1% gain in my account every day? Michael, maybe you want to touch on this. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, with that, and maybe Alejandro can shed some light, but with that information alone, I think it's impossible to, I, I find I can't do it, where mm. actually do a formula, you could say what your drawdown would be. You know, there's, there's just so many other factors that go into it. And by the way, one of those factors is your actual execution performance, execution compliance. So we could even make an assumption based on 100% compliance. You take every trade, the entry is perfect. I mean, everything like that. Again, you know, also if you have a strategy that's not appropriate for that market condition, that's going to dilute. So there's so many other variables. I'm not trying to shed the, the answer, but I think that's just a, there's a lot that goes into it, but you know, it's there's a lot of factors that happen, and that's just not. It's tough to make that assumption. It's actually, you know, it's not really healthy for your for your trading philosophy to make an assumption based on just you know one percent a day. Obviously, if you're doing one percent a day, uh, you know that, that's you're, you're in you're in good shape, so you can afford some drawdown. But that that's a to have a form like that would be tough to. Yeah, and that's a really good point. So I think plus the market is like kind of random a little bit, so we cannot know when it's going to stop to get you bad trades or losing trades. You cannot say, yeah, like, oh, so like starting on Saturday, I have no, no more losing trades. It's, it's over. No, it doesn't work. You could try, but yeah. it doesn't really uh, work well. So I will actually say that that is the wrong question to ask. Like the question of what can I expect of drawdown if I want to target 1% again in my account? That's the wrong, uh, the wrong question to ask. I think the correct question to ask in this type of context would be, what drawdown can I pilot in my account? Like, what is the drawdown I can handle in my account or my investors can handle in my account? And then with that and my statistics, my numbers, and assuming not the 100% compliance, but an 80% compliance, which is a good compliance level, it's not the best in the world, but it's actually on average what top traders may be doing for maybe top traders will be around 90 percent compliance in their in their plans uh, around there so assuming 80 percent compliance and all that and knowing your statistics then you can be okay i can accept to have these type of drawdowns and this type of of risk then i input my numbers i see my my my, my performance in terms of my statistics and then that will give me what i can potentially expect what i could get so I think it's like the, it's the opposite way of doing the things. You first have to say, 
what, how, how much am I willing to risk and how much am I willing to have as a loss or a drawdown in order to see from my stats and what I am able to perform, what I could potentially expect getting in never on average, but that is on average. One day you may get five times that, one day you may get a loss five times larger. That's how viability works in the market. But yeah, that I, I think that it would be like a better framework to see these type of questions instead of of how it is currently written up. Awesome. So we have a question here that's a little more technical for Michael. The question is from Aaron. So Aaron says, have you ever tried scalping gamma in options? Have you ever tried it in Forex options? If so, how do you place a stop loss on the spot FX? Uh, Produce high or 1.5 ATR other tops? Yeah, I'll, I'll try and keep this simple because I, I don't want to confuse everyone with the options jargon. It's a good question. Um, yeah, I actually, uh, well, you know, on two types of option strategies, one are defined risk and one are undefined risk. On defined risk, pretty much, uh, I'll keep this really high level too for our audience, but I just kind of set it and forget it. And I know what my risk is. I know what my profit goal is. So I let it go. As far as, uh, you know, gamma risk and actually like gamma scalping techniques, things like that, you know, I use certain delta levels that are comfortable for me, such as, uh, you know, 16 delta strikes, things like that, uh, 30 delta strikes. But again, to keep it high level, and you bring up a really good question. It's, uh, you know, I'd love to have a sort of side chat with you. You know, a lot of options premium selling is sort of a patience game. So, you know, I'm usually out of those positions really to avoid gamma risk. And uh, by that, I'm looking at, say, 45 days, I'm getting a, a trade in. Usually by the 21st day, we're 21 days left expiration, I'm out because, you know, gamma risk is now going to, you know, play a, play a big role into, uh, into the game. So that's my strategy. I do leave a lot on the table when I do that, but I'm a risk guy. So, you know, my job is to avoid risk, not necessarily, uh, you know, hit home runs for trade. So uh, that's how I approach it. Nice, awesome. Sorry if I sorry if I confused everyone on that answer. <laughs> no, that that that's great. I, I I understand. Maybe you can just so people understand what gamma means. Say what is the main market driving factor for gamma. That way, people can like better understand. Yeah, what I mean, everything meant. Yeah, there's there's another like chapter in a book that you, know, you can go on. <laughs> yeah, without, there's nothing in options. I think that can be can be talked about without confusing a you know group like that, but. It, real simply, time is a big element, and also where prices in relation to the stock price, or delta in a sense. So, delta risk in a sense to me is sort of hand in hand with gamma risk. And again, now we're talking about Greeks and things like that. So, but to me, as you get closer to expiration, real simple, high level, as you get closer to expiration, a lot of your Greek risk increases. So, real simple, if you you know if the stove is hot and you know, say don't touch the stove it's hot well don't touch the stove because you're going to get burned so that's sort of like the the high level uh, answer to greek yeah. risk and options trading so yeah avoid those it. risks even though there's a lot of money on the table i love it i mean i understand most of the greeks and that so i love your analogy because i think it conveys pretty clearly what it is without being too too much to handle probably for beginners. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> I mean, the challenge is, and again, whether it's options or, or any type of trading, the, the challenge with that is there's a lot of profits that are like sitting in front of your screen. That, you know, if you just wait another so many days, it's yours. Like it's it's kind of waiting there. the The market just if the market just stays where it is, or the or the you know the forex pair stays where it is, it's all mine. 
But guess what? Markets move, and you know it's never that way. And you can balance and hedge and things like that. But so it's tempting because you see that money that's kind of sitting there, and all you have to do is just wait. You don't have to like trade well. It's just sit there and wait. But unfortunately, markets move, and a lot of times they don't move in your direction. And uh, you know that's that's where gamma risk comes into play late in the late stages of the trade. So you know again, like the stove is being hot. I just avoid that risk, and that's one less risk I have to worry about. You know, you put that risk on, you'll probably be rewarded more sometimes, but you'll pay the price more, and that's just not my trading style. I'm more for consistent, prudent, profitable growth. That's in my own accounts, and especially in the managed account side. And one of the things, and I actually report that on a monthly basis, you know, my Greek risks and how I manage that. That's one of the first questions I address in my sort of monthly conference call. Good question. Awesome. Cool. So we'll wrap it up here for you guys today. I appreciate you for being here once again. If you want to learn from myself, Alejandro, and Mike, well, uh, we have an academy for this. The Zasha Academy, which has been going on for two years now. We have a few people that have been having really good success recently. So I'll put a link below for that. You can apply if you want to be part of it. We'll have a call if you are a good fit for the academy. And then see how we can move forward and help you with your goals. Thank you once again for being here. And we'll catch you guys in a couple of days. Ciao.